the Sports Career Podcast, episode 255. The benefits of putting yourself out there. Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. Before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, if you are discovering your sports career journey and you're struggling at this moment, I've got something just for you. It's my sports career mini course which is seven videos which will help you get clarity with regards to discovering and starting your career in the sports industry with confidence. For more information about this mini course go to education to sport forward slash mc and go there to take action now as always my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who can inspire and encourage you to be the best version of yourself in your day-to-day life particularly with regards to your sports career development so i hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Leonardo Pereira. Leonardo has a fascinating sports career journey where he's raised and brought up in Brazil, but he managed to create his own opportunity being a rugby player and getting a trial at the Blue Bulls out in South Africa. Again, he managed to create this opportunity on his own, which he'll explain a lot more in this podcast chat. Currently, he is working in chemical engineering, which he shares how his life in rugby has supported him in the business world of sport. So for that reason, it's brilliant to have Leonardo as a special guest on the show. And that's why he'll share to you how you can create your own opportunities by putting yourself out there. Leo, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Hi, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. I was born and raised in Brazil. Back in 2003, my older brother, he went for a year as an exchange student in New Zealand. And thankfully, it was a World Cup uh, year in Australia. So, and when he came back, uh, not just him, but also a friend from school started actually playing rugby. So the two things came together and I started playing uh, in 2004. Before that, I played a little bit of volleyball and all that because I was tall, but I've always been built for the scrum. So let's say volleyball was not my thing. Jumping wasn't my my best asset. Um, So then, yeah, we started playing rugby and uh, I made it to Brazil in the 19th a year later. And uh, in 2007, uh, I decided uh, that I wanted to play I wouldn't say professionally, but I wanted to give it a go because I didn't think I, was, I would be able to. So I just started emailing people all over the world. I found out about rugby academies. And uh, as I told you before, I, I had, you know, I still have to this date a saved email from Eddie Jones <laughs> calling me up. I guess he was at the Saracens back then to come for a trial and things like that. But then I ended up at the rugby academy uh, in the Blue Bulls in Pretoria which was fantastic because in 2007, uh, as you are very well aware of, well, South Africa beat England, they were the world champions and 
more than half of those players were Blue Bulls players. So I was playing in a very amateur scenario, really grassroots. And then all of a sudden I am the, at this big stadium and I'm training. And then when I look sideways, it's Victor Matfield, Bakis Bota, Brian Abana, all these guys. And I'm okay, cool. Um, so it was, it was a new experience. It's nice going into a new country and um, getting to learn a new language. Well, a couple of new languages. Then I came back from, uh, to Brazil, played for Brazil senior team for a year, decided to give it a go again. Did the same thing all over again. Um, found smaller leagues. So Spain, back then uh, Japan was, well, first division, yes, but second division was still not that good. And I ended up in Scotland playing for the Edinburgh Academicals. Um, they were the Scottish Premiership back then. Uh, was there for seven months, didn't really work out. And I decided to retire rugby let's say and come back home be a coach i still played i was a player coach but my main focus shifted towards coaching my team so i, I played for brazil for a wee while when i came back and then i decided no don't want to do that anymore i really want to coach youngsters and my home club so you know i can i saw that it makes no sense for you getting somebody that's 24 25 years old and trying to make them a really good player that's not how, how, how we as a country are going to improve. So I prefer to get to the youngsters, make them learn the game, make them understand what we play. It's not just about bumping heads. And then they will become better players. They'll become better coaches. And over time, that will make us uh, a better and a more um, of a rugby and not so much a football nation. Absolutely. Look, thank you for reminding me about that 2007 final. I would say Mark Cueto's foot was not in touch, by the way, with that try scoring opportunity. <laughs> um, agreed, I wish we had agreed. technology back then. Uh, but jokes aside, gosh, I remember that final vividly. Um, but it was a good rugby final anyway. Um, look, Leo, what a great first answer. And, and I just want to go back in time a little bit about culture a little bit. You know, Brazil, when you think about... Brazilian sport, the first people think of is soccer. Or is it soccer out there or football? Let me get the terms right. Your call, your language. Okay, we'll call, <laughs> fo we'll call it football. But, you know, with regards to, you know, Brazil and, and breaking into rugby, what gave you the confidence to go, actually, no, I'm going to follow my gut to play this sport despite there's other sports out there are a lot more popular because what you did, and if you don't mind, I'd love you to dig deep a little bit with all those emails or letters you sent to those rugby academies. What gave you the courage to just do that? Even if there was a slight chance, nothing would happen, but you still done it. Could you just go in depth of how many letters you actually wrote? Um, you told me on a WhatsApp call, but if you wouldn't mind sharing to the listeners, it's quite important because it relates to this week's podcast topic of putting yourself out there, even if there's an unknown. So so my question is, why rugby and why did you go full out to make it happen to the best of your ability? Well, rugby was, you know, my brother came back, said it was a cool sport. I think I watched a couple of matches. For, I remember watching the final, uh, 2003 World Cup final, but I really didn't understand what was going on. Uh, it was just a thing that, you know... I. I a good friend of mine back then started playing. My brother came back from New Zealand. Of course, I am terrible at football. Otherwise, I wouldn't be playing volleyball before that. So um, uh, foot-eye coordination was not never my thing. I'm not, I'm not sidestepping people. Um, so I said, okay, I, I, was a, 
I still am a big guy, but I was very big back then. I was 15 years old and I had already stopped growing. So I was oh, 190 centimeters tall and then 120 kilos, 15, 16 years old. So um, it was a good sport because I was good at, right? I, um, I enjoy feeling that I'm good at stuff. And um, I came to play. Nobody really knew how to tackle and these things. So when you're big, you're just bumping people off and you feel amazing. You're like, ah, oh, this is my thing. And I love this. So this is what really got me into, uh, into rugby, right? Uh, I cannot tell you exactly why I decided to um, go for those academies. But uh, something that my parents have always taught us is, look, if you already have your a no, if you don't do anything, nothing's moving, right? So you better try and do stuff. And what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, I, well, I spent a couple of hours sending emails and I'm still where, where I'm at. So instead of, you know, sitting at home playing video games, instead of, you know, doing whatever else I had to do, I just decided I'll take, I took a week and I was just sending off emails, sending off emails. So from first to third division in every single country, uh, let's say you get top 10, top 15 countries uh, in the world back then. I remember sending emails to Fiji Rugby Union, Samoa Rugby Union. Just, you know, I really had nothing. So I just said, if I can get something, that's cool. And it ended up, well, way better than I expected. So um, yeah, it was, it was more of a thing that um, I realized I wanted to do. And I just decided to give it a go even though I had no expectations towards it. Awesome. And just when you went to the Bulls, like painting the picture when that actually happened, because they're a well-established club in South Africa. Could you just share the experience there, like how it just opened up this new opportunity, just all the hard work of reaching out to these academies? Once I reached out and once I got a response, uh, I, if I recall correctly, at first I got a response from the Sharks, and then I got that email from the Sharks and I sent to the other unions saying, look, the Sharks want me. Do you want me as well? And I got a response from the Bulls. They're like, no, we were about to send you an email. Come over. And of course, looking at, and then I said, I just opened Google and started Googling the players that just won the World Cup. And I saw most of them were at the Blue Bulls. And I was like, okay, that's where I'm going. Um, it was really odd because I had never uh, lived in another country in my life. I could speak English, but not that well. And I knew, like, I didn't know anybody, right? So I got an email saying, look, the, I think it was vice president of the Blue Bulls Rugby Union back then. He's going to be there at the, at the airport looking for you. Uh, he'll fetch you in a car and you just come over. And I really didn't know what to expect. You know, I knew I'd be staying in the house with a couple of players, but that was all of it. So it was, it, it was something that, as soon as I hopped into the plane, uh, there was really no turning back. And when I left here, I spoke to my brother who used to play rugby with me. And I told him, look, if I come off the bench for, for the B side once in the whole season, I'm happy. I'm just going to learn and uh, try not to get injured. Um, but then, so I got there and uh, the mindset was really into, I really want to dive into the country. I really want to go and I really want to learn. Um, I lived in a house with other 13 players and there was no way of me speaking Spanish or Portuguese to help me out. 
that's not going to work. People would speak English to me at best. So I really had to find my way around things. And I think uh, being that deep into the culture and into the country really uh, ended up in me uh, getting immersed into the culture, the way they speak, the, 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 the slang. And uh, even when I came back, uh, it would be something really tough for me. I would feel like when I'm speaking English, I would um, speak in a way that's not the same way that I speak in Portuguese. I really don't know how to, how to, how to say that, but it really felt like there was two personas, right? Because it was such a deep dive into South African culture and it really changed the way I saw stuff. So, um, and just as a side note, if, if you're wondering, um, I ended up playing for the, let's say A side and I was uh, first team choice, which was again, a very big surprise. But um, so it, it seems like the story goes on and on with the same things. It's like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it, but I better do my best and try, um, and then I just do it, and it, it seems like it just happens, right? But just saying that, that it, look, that story just flows, and I hope the listeners learn, like I'm learning right now, that when you put yourself out there, things will happen. You don't know what will happen, but it has that domino effect. And just really quickly, from a mindset perspective, you mentioned it really briefly, but. When did it click? Was it when maybe when you're on the plane, when you went, right, I've got to be like a pro rugby player now. I have to, you know, it's all well sending emails. But then when you get that opportunity, you've got to, you know, go another gear going, all right, this is serious now. Can you remember that moment specifically? Yes, specifically. I recall, uh, the, uh, you know, I, I hate looking at it, but, um, you know, airplanes, they have a, where you are, the map. And then I saw that I just entered South African territory. And at that, th at that moment, I realized, like, I am uh, going into an airport. I have no idea. Because back then, yes, we had internet. But I had no idea who's going to be there to pick me up. So I started, you know, even mind starts racing. Like, hey, what if this is a scam? What if there's nobody there? No, no way I'm going to the bulls. Nah, nah, that's not going to happen. So your mind starts racing. And then uh, I realize it's okay. I've got a 10 month contract. I have to stay. Uh, I, you know, I, I said I would, and I will. And what can I do? I, you know, I, I cannot go back in time and get better at rugby. I cannot go back in time, get stronger, get bigger, get leaner. So I'd rather work with what I have and give it my best shot. So I recall that, that was the moment when I realized Okay, I put myself out there. I got more than I think I would get. But then now it's up to me to deliver what they expect. Because somebody bought uh, uh, what I'm selling, right? So I told them, look, I'm this guy. I have very good potential. I'm big. I'm this. I'm that. I can do this. I can do that. And I convinced people. So then now it's up to me to deliver what has been promised. So I think that's that's the moment where everything really clicks. There's a saying in the UK, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's like talk the talk and walk the walk. And it's exactly that. Like we can have, I'm just relating it to the listeners who aren't professional athletes, but it's like having a brilliant LinkedIn page, brilliant CV, but you've got to back it up with the goods, you know, when you're in that opportunity. So 
just really quickly now, like you've mentioned about the South African culture, but you, you know, you've done rugby in Scotland, you've done rugby in South Africa, you, you've taught or coached in Brazil. Like, how big is understanding culture when working or playing in sport? I say working just for listeners who can get an understanding that doing rugby in South Africa and Scotland, they're probably different experiences, but you've got to be mindful of, the, of your surroundings. So from those experiences, how important is it to be mindful of different cultures? To me, that first experience in South Africa was important because it is completely different from whatever I had lived up to then. Yes, same thing with Scotland. And even in Brazil, I have lived all over Brazil and it's a massive country. So any place you go is very different from the others. It, it really gives you the tools for you to understand why people do things. So when you get to meet a new culture and, and not just Oh, I know Ed, he's from England. No, there's not that. It's being there. It's actually leaving it. Because I could, I could have lived, not South Africa, but maybe in Scotland, I could have looked up for Brazilians that were there and just hang out with those guys. And I would have learned nothing. Okay? So it's really a thing of, I, I'm not going to be here my entire life. So again, I better give my best shot. I'm not, I'm not going to come back to Scotland, so I better eat a haggis. It's one of those things, right? I'm in South Africa. I better eat Budavors. I better eat Brai. So it, it, it's, I think those small things, you end up picking up so much of what is a day-to-day -day life of that people. And then once you see them making decisions, once you see where they're heading, once you see how they're speaking, you have the context. You have the scenario at which they are inserted. So it makes it makes it more easy for you to understand why people are the way they are. And working in international companies, for example, you will have people, you know, from all, I wouldn't say countries, I'll say continents. And then you have to have, you have to understand that if there's something culturally very different from me to Ed, the way I look at what Ed does, and I feel, and I feel like it's odd, he looks at me the same way around. And we have to find common ground and understand what's going on and really try to find out. So uh, countries have different cultures when it comes to, you know, giving feedback, when it comes to negotiating. So at some countries, you, you better, you better be straightforward. Okay. Dutch people, they are very much used to that. You, they will come straight at you. That doesn't mean they're aggressive. Brazil, you're very indirect overall. So you don't really go for, you know, you don't go for the honeypot at first. You really start going smoothly talking, small talk, and then you get down to business. So you have to be mindful of those things. And, and, and leaving those cultures gives you that uh, flexibility. I hope people are taking notes because it really comes down to communication skills. And I want to touch on that now, like looking back, how are the, all those experiences elevate your communication skills, not just on the rugby pitch, but also off the rugby pitch? I would say that for me, rugby had two, uh, three main things that rugby helped me with. One was the culture, two is communication, and three was leadership. Communication. I'll, I'll tell you a case. First training session at the Blue Bulls, we had this uh, fly half. He was uh, very well known, classic late 90s, early 2000s uh, fly half wearing gloves, don't like to be touched. Um, and we were doing two-on-ones, a very basic rugby drill. And the coach said in Afrikaans, okay, no tackling. 
I didn't understand anything of Afrikaans, but tackle, I understand tackle. And I would usually, I would try and always stay in the end of the queue so I could see what people were doing and then I would do it. But he asked me to go first. So I went full on and I smashed the fly half. And then everybody was laughing and then I didn't understand. And they told me, look, he, he said no tackle. I said, okay, that's fine. But I, I don't, you know, how, how will I understand that if I don't know what you're talking about? And that I bring with me anywhere I go. So when I'm coaching kids, when I'm coaching adults, when I'm at work, when I'm writing down procedures, anything that I do, I always try and be mindful of who's listening, who's reading. Does this person have the, the, the least amount of information that I believe they have in order to understand what I want and what I mean, right? People don't want to be treated as dumb. They don't want you to explain the, you know, the, the, the little by little details. But at the same time, you have to give them enough information that with what they have, they're able to get what you want and to deliver what you need. I think that's really important. And touch on the leadership. How has it developed your leadership skills as well? Oh, well, first of all, at least for me, communication is key, right? Yeah. Leading somebody with no communication is impossible. And well, you can be a bad leader communicating well, but you cannot do it the other way around. So that's halfway, that's halfway done, right? Um, but it, it really helped me. Uh, communication, culture is important. But not just that. It's, um, with all those uh, experience of getting myself out there and having to deliver, that showed me, well, okay, when I come in and I don't deliver, people don't take you that seriously. So um, if I want to lead, I like to lead by example. So I better do the best thing I can with what I have. It doesn't have to be perfect but I'm not going to stop when it's good. If it's good and it can be better, it will be better. It is, it requires the same amount of effort for you to do something okay and, you, and for you to do something very good. So why stop on the okay? Why plan for the okay? If something happens in the middle of the way and you have to stop, that's fine. I'll come back and I'll do it better. So uh, rugby really show that and really, and, and, and it's a sport. Um, I, had a, I had a conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago trying to, for him to try and grasp how it is for you to be in a competitive setting, right? At the same time that you need those people to be with you, to work as a unit in order to beat your opponents on Saturday, from Sunday to Friday, you are opponents, let's say, right? You are fighting for the same spot in the team. That doesn't mean I want to hurt people, but that means that I want to do better than they do. So when you think about competition in sport, when you think about competition in business, you always tend to look at your competitors. But the big competition that happens is within your company, within your team. Because for you to be able to be competitive uh, outwards, you have to be competitive inwards. So it makes no sense for me to try and beat my competitors if I'm not doing my work right, if I don't get my priorities right, if I don't get my customers happy, right? So that has really, uh, living, living that reality really gave me, let's say, the, the, the way forward, the way that I like to work and the way it works for me. 
Look, I find this fascinating. And I know you talked about briefly about the beginning, like you made that decision to retire. And I think it's really important, if you don't mind me saying that, you pre-retired before getting like the big, big shot. Is that a fair thing to say? Um, because I'm relating this to people listening in who, not just rugby, but other sports who were part of the academies, but nothing made it into the reality they thought it would be, like the big, big contract, the big endorsement deals. But from that experience, how did it elevate you, you know, with regards to your second career, if that makes sense? Could you just paint the picture of, what you're doing now, but also from those lessons of rugby did help you afterwards. What, what transitional skills supported you? And you've mentioned it already just then, but as you know, you've listened to a few of my podcasts. I'm always keen to help other athletes who are figuring out their next step after sport. But you, your journey is just, I love it because one, it's authentic, but two, you are applying what sport has taught you or particularly rugby has taught you in a business environment. So Bit of a long-winded question, but hopefully what I've said made sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. Um, so what happened to me uh, were, were two things, right? First of all, as usual, I wasn't expecting much when I moved to Scotland. Uh, it was funny that when I got there, uh, when a, a newspaper came in and they, they made this article about me and another guy, a French guy who's played rugby with me here, and I helped him play for the Sharks uh, for one year. And then we both moved to Scotland to the same team. And they made this article saying that we were going to help the team not get relegated and all that. And then all of a sudden I felt the pressure and I really struggled. That was a time that I'm not proud of. So um, I was struggling with injuries. I did not learn how to say no to things. I accepted anything and I really was not at my best and I couldn't give it my best. So it didn't really work out. But when I got there, my idea was not that I'm going to be this big shot player right I just wanted to play at a good level and I wanted to study I never stopped studying so in South Africa I studied sports science came back studied chemical engineering went to Scotland applied for universities to study chemical engineering so everything just sort of like evolved over time and having a bad season and finding out that look I'm not going to make it into those big contracts I saw that I'm not good enough really having you know a little bit of backbone and saying I, I do have something to revert back to and I will have to make the decision now or later. I can stay here. I can play for another 10, 15 years and then I have to do it. Should I do it now? Should I wait a little bit? Should I go to the end? And uh, when I weighed, when I weighed down all the possibilities, I said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to make enough money to make a living out of it. So I have to do something. It came to that realization that, okay, I'm not good enough. But looking back to where I started, I, um, I have so much more to give so I can just go back and help out. So um, then my focus shifts into coaching, right? I coached in South Africa. I coached in Scotland. Always loved coaching more than playing. If you tell me, Leo, you have to make a decision. I prefer to coach than to play. And I prefer to coach late teens, let's say, from 15 years old onwards. But I love coaching adults i love coaching kids but teenagers i don't know what right they're rebel they don't want to do what you do they make dumb decisions i get stressed out but i love doing it regarding the decision that, that that's how it evolved right and then putting it into a business setting it, it, it was i had a transition time when i was in university so throughout those years i started seeing that i did things different from 
classmates. Not better, not worse, but different. And uh, I started wondering, you know, how is that transferable? How can I do that? And then once again, well, I, I had to do an internship to finish university. And I, I, had, I hadn't done any internships. So once again, mad Leo into the emails, sending emails through CVs and like hundreds and hundreds of CVs. I got called up to do an internship in a factory. And I had this thing that I don't want to work in a factory. I don't know why, but I just decided that it was not my thing. But I ended up getting selected. I had to do it for university. So I said, oh, well, I'll just do it. And then when I got there, it's like this big team of people, this very complex sort of uh, issues and things that you have to control, things that have processes that have to work. And all of a sudden, when I see them, like, I feel like I'm at, you know, I'm at home. And I really found myself there and uh, was very, once again, I, I threw myself out there. It really worked out, of course, because there was deliverables, right? There was something to, to, to give substance to it. And I feel like all, all those skills that we've been talking about, those are things that I do on a daily basis. Those are things that are used. And it, it doesn't matter, right? I, I'm, I'm in a business today. If something happens and I, I work with something else completely different, I, know, I may not know about the business. I may not know about whatever, but I know how I do things and how I strive and how I thrive, right? So I, I know the path that I have to take in order to do the best that I can. And if the best that I can is not the best for that scenario, then, well, maybe I'm at the wrong place. But up to now, it has been very successful. That's pretty much how the whole experiences translate into a business setting, right? Into, and it's not just a factory. My experience is within factories, but it could be anywhere, any business, any any. Um, an industry, let's say. But just quickly, Leo, would you mind just providing a few tips to listeners who are athletes who are just figuring this out? You know, what's next? That big question. You you shared it in a beautiful story just then, but just to provide some like clear points, what would they be? Find out what you like to do. Find out the way you the way you do things that have different outcomes. There's something called the strengths-based leadership, which is very much focused on do the things you do well because you have so much better outcomes with much less um, effort, right? So that, that is really what I have in mind. I know the things that I like doing. I know the way um, I like doing stuff and the way stuff works for me. And I know that once I'm working somewhere else, doesn't matter where, um, that uh, if I do things, the, the, the best thing I can as a, as a business person, as a coach, right? I have to get the best thing out of my team and I have to give the best that I have. I cannot give some, something or somebody uh, uh, something I don't, right? So if that's the best I can give, that's the best I can give. You need good leaders to help you uh, move into the right directions right? Because you can make a lot of effort and move in the wrong direction. But if you're moving the right, right direction, you know what to do, you know how to do it, just use that. And you learn that on the pitch or on a, a tennis court or on a swimming pool, right? You, you know the processes you go through mentally to deliver what you have to deliver. And it's not like 
you're going to run 100 meters in 10 seconds just because you decided to. It's a process. So what do you mean process? Is it the discipline side of doing the reps of whatever that activity is? What do you mean process? I mean by motivation is nice, but motivation does not drive you anywhere. Right? Motivation made me send those emails. But it wasn't motivation that made me be a good rugby player to do well. Uh, it wasn't motivation that made me a good coach. It was being out there every day, putting in the hours, putting in the hard work, right? It is not uh, the athletes. They did not just bump into the Olympics and did what they did. They've been, they've been training every day for a very long time. It's not like they can sort out now that within three months, I'm going to go to world championship. That's not how it works. Motivation is short term. You need to be consistent. You need to be mid-long-term. Mm. And one thing I want to touch on now, because I can hear it through your enthusiasm with coaching. How has your coaching philosophy in rugby developed over the years? And I assume you're still coaching now? Um, well, not at the moment because of COVID, but <laughs> hopefully, yes. It really changed, right? So I was, let's say, formed as a coach in South Africa. And you know how South Africa sees rugby. I'll do what I do every day and i'll just do it harder than you can take so i try to implement that here and culture is too different right people here want to be flashy people like running with the ball and you know the big guys they like bumping people off the the quick guys they like sidestepping everybody and um <clears throat> so i try to implement something that's not really uh, uh, in accordance let's say to brazilian culture at the same time it is good to get people to understand that there's a lot of hard work to be done in order for the winger to have space to do his thing. Um, so it was, it, it was something that was built uh, by trial and error. I tried to implement what I did in South Africa, what I learned in South Africa, so it did not work. So we started, um, okay, if I, if I be a little, little bit more lenient here, if I make them understand this part of the game, uh, <clears throat> And people really don't understand the tactics for them. It's just, you know, get the ball, run as hard forward as you can, and that's it, right? So um, it was really not just me building up my coaching skills, not me building up my knowledge, but also making people uh, learn more about the game, learn about the scenario, learn about what is... What is my goal in this team? What do I have to do? I don't have to be the guy scoring tries every time. I actually may never score a try and still do well, right? So that's the uh, that's how things evolve. I, I cannot really tell you, look, this is what I have to go through. This is It was something that I really built on with the experiences that I had. So if I had different players to work with back then, I would surely be a different coach than I am right now because I would have to uh, mold my way of doing things in a, in a different way than um, I did. Well, it goes back to what you said about one building experience, but then adjusting your communication to that culture, which is so lovely from this conversation. Look, one story I'd love you to share, because you said to me when you're getting on the plane that your English wasn't great, but when you had the Olympics with the sevens, could you share that story you shared with me on WhatsApp of, you being a translator out the blue. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, I think it was 2012. Rio was starting to get ready for all the Olympics and all that. 
and um, I got an email from, uh, I think it was a British council or somebody that worked there, I, I'm, I cannot tell you. So um, <clears throat> yeah, well, not sure, doesn't, doesn't matter. Saying like, look, we need somebody that knows sports, that knows English, that knows Portuguese, and that knows rugby. Uh, because Prince Harry is coming over for the Queen's Jubilee, and we're going to have this big event with uh, volleyball, with football and all that. And I was involved back then in a social project where our kids would play rugby with Prince Harry. So they needed somebody that knew the kids, knew Portuguese, knew rugby, knew English. And uh, when, you, when you get the 200 million Brazilians that there are, there's just a handful that could do that. And uh, it was myself and an English guy. Of course, he was much more excited than I was um, to do that job. It was it was really really odd i remember um talking to a person who's a professional translator and i asked her you know what do i do if it's if he says something that you know i don't feel like it's right and then she just told me look you're not there to make decisions worst thing you can do is people think you're not translating well so just go with the flow whatever comes to your mind just do it just go for it um and it was it was really a fantastic experience in a way that the thing I recall the most is the noise of the cameras. Every single time he would fetch the ball, he would like hug a kid, it'd just be cameras going off like crazy, like crazy. And um, you know, you being a normal person, let's say that's that's something really odd. So it was a, it was a cool experience. It was something new. It was something that really uh, to build up on. It's. Um, it, it was it was a way of uh, you know getting to know those kinds of people, <coughs> which sorry, which I would never have. But more interesting than that was that uh, just after that, there was another op opportunity where Ben Gollins, uh, Gomez scorer. He was Ben Gollins was the highest point scorer. Gomez scorer was like the highest try scorer, and Waisale Serevi, yeah, and Waisale Serevi, they were coming over. For, uh, for an event as well. Then I already had some experience and they called me up. I was much more excited for that, to be honest. Um, I recall watching you know, the last couple of series that uh, Waisali played in and he was just fantastic. And uh, we, we were really, like everybody was truly, truly excited. And, uh, and I recall that there was, we were coaching kids and all that, but if there was like a hundred kids but everybody from the rugby community in Rio came over to take photos with those guys and to see them. Um, so you know, Gomez Corda being from Argentina, we could relate to that. You know, Waisali being, well, best sevens player ever, uh, hands down. So um, it, it was, you know, really that thing that it is so cool that I'm being part of this. And the things that built up to that moment seemed to be so random. And then all of a sudden, they all make sense and they all make a clear path towards where I'm at. So that, that was the coolest thing to realize that, okay, this seems, because when you're at this moment, you're like, this is so random. You know, why me? Why here? What's going on? You, you cannot really grasp it. And then when you look back, you see all those uh, uh, random things that happened that build up for you to have that. And then makes me wonder, you know, the, the, because if you ask me now, okay, from that experience with Waisali, from with Ben Gollins, with all those guys, 
what did you learn? But to be honest, it was something more, you know, to be cool, to be part of. It was, it was something that was a, a pleasure, let's say a, a gift from laugh. Uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't tell you it's leading me somewhere, but I know that tomorrow something may happen where I'll look back and I'll be like, okay, now I see where it helped me out. So, and I always, I, I try always have that attitude, right? With emails, with uh, accepting th those random offers because um, it does, it may not seem like it makes sense, but then, it, it, you know, what, if you're building, if you're evolving, if it's taking somewhere, you'll get somewhere. And that's somewhere you look back and that will make sense, right? So of course, we cannot, we don't have a window into the, into the future. So, you know, why say no to an opportunity now? Why say no to doing something different? Why say no to learning something new? If, you know, if I'm not going to do that, what I'm going to do with my time. So, Leo, I've got this big smile and there's a phrase I always use, particularly working in the sports industry, that working sport is not a job, it's a, a journey. And I know it's so, you know, over, you know, when I say overused, it, it's, it's a bit cliche, but from that story, which makes me smile because there is, even from this conversation we've had, we've connected the dots of how you had the opportunity. You know, it's only through those emails. Then you learn English. Then a few years on, you understand the knowledge of the game. And then you're being a translator. You know, even if it's nothing related to the current work you're doing, I'm trying to share the listeners that sometimes opportunities come, but you just don't realize through your past. And then it's only when you're in the present moment, you're like, wow, okay, all those emails was worth it. And as I said, this podcast was all about putting yourself out there. But I didn't want you to share like how to do that. You've done it through your experience. And I hope the listeners are getting that. But Leah, look, out of interest, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now? Um, well, that, that's deep. Um, I, really, I, I really enjoyed the experiences, right? So the things that I hold dear, um, I don't have contact with a lot of people that I've played in the past. Um, mm. Uh, it, it is as a coach i'm always very happy to see a couple of the players that i've coached doing well but it's more of a once again even if i see them doing well it's not just the result but it's the experience i look back into you know 10 years ago when i coached this guy how he was doing the things he did well how that's how that moved forward how he has evolved so what stays is the experience um, and really um, what you learn, what you take away from those is a matter of, you know, the, the, the things you do. So for me, if I would uh, summarize into one word would be experience, right? Enjoying the journey, doing what you like. You understand there'll be issues. It will be stressful, but it's stressful because you, <clears throat> you are mindful and you worry about the outcome, right? So for me, that's the uh, most important thing. Look, thank you so much for sharing. I think you've got me thinking even more deep because you said a big, I said a deep question. You give me a really deep reply. Look, we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question, Leo. And I want to keep it really simple for you because I think so many people can learn from you already through your, your experience. But what three tips or qualities would you give to the listener now to help them put themselves out there in the sports industry or 
do something that gets them out of their comfort zone. Don't be afraid to make choices. Number one, and for me, it's the, the, the most important. Don't be afraid. Make decisions with what you have. Make decisions with what you have. And that's the best you can do. Number two, walk the walk. So if somebody buys into you, you make sure you deliver the best thing you can. It's not up to you to decide if the, the outcome is the best or not. But what you can do is to put in the effort and to put in the hours. And number three is really understand that you are not limited to what you think you are. So it's not because I don't see a, a career now into entertainment. I don't see a career now into uh, working in customer service. I don't see a career now working with marketing. That doesn't mean that doesn't exist. I just have not seen it yet, right? So it, it all comes down to be mindful and understand that uh, you know there is a place uh, that's good for you that you're going to enjoy, and your your job from now on is to you know find out where that place is and what you like to do and where you can transfer those skills into a business setting. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing those three tips. And there was probably four there at the end, being mindful. I think that's so important as well. Out of interest, Leo, how can people interact with you online? Um, I'm not really a big social media guy. So um, I think the best thing to do is to look me up at uh, LinkedIn, you know, whatever. I'm always open, right? And I always like talking to new people and learning. Awesome. To all the listeners listening, that LinkedIn link will be on my blog where you can interact with this great guy, Leo. Leo, it's been a joy chat with you today. Thank you very much. All right, Ed, it was a pleasure. Cheers. What a fascinating conversation with Leo. And it's conversations like this which I really enjoy because it's these sort of stories or storytelling which can hopefully help you with regards to understanding the benefits of putting yourself out there which relates to today's podcast topic because Leo could have given you some steps in how to put yourself out there but actually I hope you've learned better through his experience like going back to one example of him having the aspiration of being an elite rug pair Again, going back to his culture in Brazil, which rugby isn't their like main sport. He got it through inspiration through his brother, where he went to New Zealand. Then he just decided to invest a week by sending emails, which then got him an opportunity to head out to South Africa and get an opportunity at the Blue Bulls, which is a huge club in South Africa. Just to be clear, if you're not into rugby, they are a huge team in the South African Rugby League. So... To have that opportunity which he created, it just shows anything's possible. But going back to that example, let's say it's not sport related like rugby. Let's say it's you getting your first opportunity in sports marketing. Apply the same attitude, the same method that Leo done and apply it to yourself. Like just take rugby out the equation of this example and put whatever's interesting to you and what you want to do next and apply the same system because it obviously worked because it's the same system he used with regards to how he discovered his opportunity after rugby with regards to chemical engineering and working in a factory which at the beginning he didn't want to do because he thought he didn't like it and now he loves it he loves that team environment because he's applying those skill sets which he mentioned about communication and leadership in that working environment this leads to my second point that i hope you've understood that sport can 
really apply those learning lessons, those life skills, which you can apply to your area of interest or the area you want to work in, whatever sport you've participated in, really decode those life skills and apply it to the work you want to do. That's what I do myself uh, with regards to this podcast show is utilizing my strengths through sports and then put it into practice in this working experience, which is podcasting. So I'm just trying to teach you that you can apply what Leo's done but with regards to your own life. So that's why I really enjoyed this conversation because Leo shared so many great examples with practical methods which have helped him create opportunities for himself and also put himself out there. So on that note, really apply Leo's tips from this podcast, put it into practice now and make it happen with regards to your sports career ambition. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Leah said, don't be afraid and walk the walk. So if somebody has an interest in you and buys into you, make sure you deliver the best you can with the best amount of effort in that opportunity.